0: Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to another episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys. I'm your host, Bettina Goolsby. I'm an actor and dreamer slash creative continuing to go after my dreams. So much of this journey is just so mind boggling, hence the title, for either reasons of utter disappointment or the manifestation beyond what I could have ever imagined. Follow along as I check in with other creators along the way and learn what so mind boggling things they have to say and what it's like pursuing the dream while living the in-between. Welcome to another episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys. Super excited about today's guests. We have Meredith Height Estevez. She is a Juilliard-trained oboist, writer, creator, and podcaster for the Artists for Joy podcast, and she is a coach who has guided groups working their way through their creative blocks, one chapter, one memory, one self-limited belief at a time through The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. I'm so appreciative of her being on the podcast and speaking on shadow artists, crazy makers, fear, and the idea of not- not having enough time. And of course, we're going to talk about morning pages and artist dates. She also takes us through a visualization exercise. So you definitely want to listen to the end for that. We are unapologetically claiming our greatest desires and moving into the direction of our dreams. Without further ado, here is Meredith Haidt Estevez. So I am here with Meredith Haidt Estevez. That's me. (laughs) That's you. And Meredith is an oboist. She is a teacher. She is a coach. And she is a podcaster. Her podcast is Artists for Joy, which is also her Instagram, at Artists for Joy. Thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh yeah, I can't thank you enough. Because Meredith and I, we did not know each other when I reached out to her. I just kind of stepped out on faith. I was looking for, as you all know, I have started the Artist' Way again for the third time, along with Steph Williams. And I was like, gosh, it would be great to you know talk to someone who is used to this program, who can kind of speak on it. And so I just did a search you know, on Instagram. And those hashtags and, you know, all the ways you can just kind of like find information and fall into rabbit holes. This was the rabbit hole to fall into.
1: Is that how you found me? Is like checking the hashtag the artist way? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. That's working then. That's good. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. And so I was like, oh, gosh, like, would it be weird to reach out? And I was like, well hey, you know, one of the things that I've learned with podcasting is that you just have to like try things. You have to step out on faith so much, you know? And so I was like, I'm just gonna reach out and see what she says. And you said, yes. And I I literally was like, (gasps) I jumped back when I got your email. I was like, oh, that's like I was expecting. I, maybe I was expecting no response, actually. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting you to say yes.
1: Well, I'm here. I say yes. Let's do this.
0: <laughs> Let's do this. And now I am in your course. You regularly teach These 12-week courses where you go through each chapter week by week with a large group of people, some are artists, some are not, and you break down the artist's way.
1: Right. So we've been meeting twice a year. I've been doing the artist's way twice a year since 2017. So we start in September and we run 13 weeks from mid-September to mid-December. And then we take January off and we start in mid-February and go till mid-May I started in 2017 because I really needed the book and I needed community around the book. I had gotten through 12 years of higher ed in music, including a doctorate degree from the Juilliard School, and I was so burnt out and lost creatively that I wasn't sure how even at the end of this degree program that was supposed to be, you know, the end all be all, I just had no idea how I was going to go on and actually do this thing and be a musician. And so I started the group in person. At that time, we were living outside of Philadelphia in Wilmington, Delaware. And the group in person was amazing. And then we kept meeting even after the book was over, that original group, and we grew and grew. And then the pandemic hit and we moved and pivoted everything online. And so starting in 2020, we ran actually three consecutive groups in 2020, pretty much the whole pandemic. I was in the artist way. And the course has grown online. I think it works really well because people can join in whenever they can from wherever they are. Yeah, it's been the most amazing journey ever. I mean, I can't even tell you. I never... You might be like, well, don't you get sick of the book and doing the morning pages and doing all the things? And I really don't because I learned so much every time I go through it. But I also learned so much from my partners in crime and my group members who share and you heard a little bit of our of what it was like on Tuesday night. People really come ready to go to dive deep and to talk about their issues and to be vulnerable. And it's it's just a beautiful thing. We have some group members who have been in every group since we went online in 2020. Like people who have been there like five times.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. One of my coworkers has done the artist way and she said that every time she does it, she still hasn't finished, but she said that she always gets something out of it. And so that made me think about you. So you were saying that the program runs 13 weeks and that's because you take, it's a 12 week program, but you take a week off.
1: We do a little bit of orientation as well. So yeah, we need an additional week to like get everything. Yeah.
0: Okay. I thought it was interesting that you were saying that with your, you know, 12 years of education. And one of the things I love about your podcast is that you feature your music in your episodes and it is beautiful and it's so soothing and it's perfect. It's like perfectly aligned with what you're talking about. But it's interesting that you said that the reason why you even came to this work is because you weren't really enjoying it. Was there some sort of angst, anxiety? like What was that? Because I know that you do talk about, you have episodes about being a tortured artist or the idea of being a tortured artist.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was, for me, and everybody has a different experience, so I won't speak for all classical musicians, but I'll say that the technique that you need to cultivate to be a successful oboist, for example, requires a pretty didactic methodology, so to speak. So there's a certain prescribed thing that you do. And in a lot of ways, it isn't that creative, because you have to follow the guru and the mentor and the teacher that you're given, and there's this sort of inflexible method that you follow and repertoire that you learn and traditionally ways that it's played, this is definitely changing now. And so I will say that a lot of institutions of higher ed and music are working to feature or celebrate the multifaceted artist, for example. But when I was coming up, you know, it's like back in my day, (laughs) we weren't really welcome to invite all the things we are as artists. And I remember starting the artist Way groups thinking, this book isn't for me. It's not for classical musicians. It's not for ballerinas. It's not for people who are living in the footsteps of the greats of their craft and aren't allowed to break out and play different repertoire or do different projects or be different. I was wrong about that. I'm so glad I was wrong. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, that book's not for me, you might be wrong because it allows you to to remember the freedom that is in the childlike creative impulse that is in everyone. And so for me, I had to, in order to break free from my anxiety, because it really was anxiety around playing music, I had to be creative in other mediums. So I worked as a writer and podcasting actually, for me is a, a big creative practice. And so it was truly healing for me to explore creative practice and creativity in a totally other genre and medium. And it felt safe enough because it was about music and I did include music in the show that I could still think about music and use my expertise without feeling all the loaded stuff that came with being an oboist, quote unquote. So I don't know if that answers your question, but... It absolutely does. And you inspired me because, again,
0: like I was saying, the way that everything is so perfectly aligned in your podcast, I was like, oh, maybe I should do a little skit at the end of my um, <laughs> at the end of my episodes, like bringing a little acting, you know, or something. And I thought about like maybe having one episode being like a radio, like I did a radio play before. And I was like, oh, maybe I should do a play on one of them. But I love how you incorporate the music in every episode. So I was like, oh, maybe I should do that. You know, I just thought it was brilliant brilliant. I thought it was brilliant.
1: (laughs) You should do that. I love that idea because why not? You know, and I bet the people who are listening will feel, I mean, first of all, so many people who I went to school at Juilliard or at Yale, who I went to school with were like, I had no idea you felt this way when we were in school. I thought I was the only one. And people who literally are in the New York Philharmonic and those people reach out to me and they they say, thank you so much for saying the things that I've always thought and I thought I was alone. And so chances are, if you feel something and you feel the impulse to try something, someone will resonate with it. At the very least, they'll smile and you'll know that you're in the ring. I love that Brene Brown quote that you know she based a whole book off of. That, you know, I don't take criticism from anyone who is not also in the ring fighting, fighting the fight. And so you're in the ring, Bettina. You're doing it. And so why not do a play, do a skit, bring your whole self because that's really fun to watch.
0: Yes. And how great is that that it's like you gave yourself a gig. I'm I love this idea about the podcasting because it's like, oh, I, you know, I gave myself a job. Like every week I gotta show up for this thing, you know? And for you, it's like Every week you're showing up and you're playing and you're you're sharing your music with the world.
1: Yeah, it is a gig. And whenever my coaching clients come to me and, and say they feel motivated, I usually tell them to get a deadline, get a deadline as quickly as possible. Because the fact that my podcast deadline comes around every Friday, it really keeps me motivated in a way that I cannot even explain. I'm sure you get it. It's just like, and even this was even before I had any listeners. So it's not like people are going to be like, you know truly like where's your episode <laughs> I'm not even sure if they would do that now maybe but i will i for sure
0: will <laughs> <laughs>
1: but even before i had no listeners when i had when i had zero listeners i was just like they're depending on me and so i think that is a really untapped resource for artists is is knowing that there is motivation in doing things like if you're waiting for the confidence to go forward You will be waiting forever. And it actually the confidence comes when you do it a lot or when you do it a little. And so you have to start things scared and know that the confidence is gonna come. So don't don't keep waiting for confidence because it's not coming. Woo!
0: (laughs) Okay. So that brings me (laughs) brings me back to when you were saying about fear. So sometimes people think like, oh, well, if you're really destined to do something, or if it's really your purpose and your passion you'll just have a natural flow. You won't procrastinate, you won't have fear, you won't have all these blocks that 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 prevent us from doing what we say we want to do. And I mentioned that to you on our last uh, when the last time we spoke and you were like no that's exactly the opposite. Can you speak on that again here?
1: Yeah, I would say that when you are stepping out of your comfort zone, it's actually been proven in studies that that is usually when the negative inner voices and the most common negative self-talk begins. And so for me, I learned in my coaching training that if I'm hearing the inner gremlin is what I call it, or the inner mean girl, if I hear her chiming in with words like, you don't know what you're doing. How dare you? You were such a fake. Everybody's going to find out you're a fraud. Stop faking it. Who do you think you are? All those voices. It's usually because I'm trying something new. And that I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. And so now I'm learning, and I'm not totally over it, but I'm learning to see that mean girl voice as a good sign that here we are. Okay, there you are chiming in. You're just trying to protect me. Thank you for trying to protect me, but we're doing this. And that is a good sign to know that we are stepping beyond the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that brings me to shadow artists.
0: Because I do feel like it's easy for people to, you know, just I'll just say it. It's easy for people to kind of criticize, and I forgot who was it. Ira Glass who said that people know good art, and so when people are first starting out, if it doesn't measure up to the great art, then they get a lot of criticism, right? It's like, oh my gosh, that person's awful. They should just stop or whatever. Where it's like, well, no, it's just you are comparing what and you on Instagram they it's kind of like that right you're comparing people's highlight reels to your everyday and it's like uh no it's not really apples to apples And a lot of times that then causes people to kind of become shadow artists, right? Maybe they're too fearful to kind of go and do what they want to do because they're scared of the criticism. And so then the next step is to become a shadow artist. And I love the term shadow artist in Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way because I think it would help people kind of see like, oh, is that what I'm doing? Oh, and am I doing that because I actually am just fearful and maybe that's something that I want to do, but I'm not giving myself permission to admit that.
1: Yes, absolutely. There there's a, a Mary Oliver quote that's like, and I hate I'm gonna butcher it, but it's like, never have I met anyone more miserable than a person who heard the urgings of creative impulse and didn't follow them. And I think that is so true that a lot of times our biggest critics and those folks that are, you know, persnickety and judgmental is because they themselves have had dreams that they didn't go after or they feel in some ways that they have failed or that they didn't even try and your success and your even just existence reminds them of their own pain. And so I try really hard to... Martha Beck is another writer that I love. She's a, a sociologist and she's also a life coach. And she talks about the everybody committee, that there's a committee of everybody in your head. And so when you say things like, everybody's going to think this, or everybody believes this about me, or, you know, you're afraid to do something because what everybody will say. And her point was, you actually have the power to make whatever everybody committee you want. And most people's everybody committee is actually full of a select two or three people that they don't actually like. And so you have made this everybody committee in your head for the one or two haters or your old toxic teacher or your, you know, un- supportive mother or whatever, you have made that the committee of everybody in your head when one, you don't even like them. And two, they're not the people who are going to support and champion you anyway. And so her idea is to rewrite the everybody committee and to develop, this is in her book, by the way, Finding Your True North Star, I think is the name of the book, but rewrite your everybody committee with people that actually love and trust you. And so I think the shadow artistry piece helps you feel compassion, doesn't it? when you see others that might be creatively blocked, taking it out on artists who are not in the shadows. But within yourself, look at the ways in your childhood or in your past that you weren't allowed to be creative in certain realms. So you might have like a sibling who was the artistic one, or you might have had somebody else in your class that usurped all of the attention from the art teacher in fifth grade and so nobody paid attention to you and so look at look at ways that you might have been just circumstantially required to put your artist self in the shadows maybe you were an oldest child and they really wanted you to be a doctor and they really needed you to be in the family business and so it was never okay for you to be a painter and yet all through college you kept dating painters and like, that's a good sign that you're a shadow artist because you're looking for a way to express that part of you. I hope that makes sense.
0: That makes absolute sense. And Steph and I were talking in the first episode of this season about how in chapter one of The Artist's Way, Julia Cameron has you write out all of the voices and the people from you know your past and present who may have said something that stuck with you. And then you adopted that voice. You adopted that belief system. And then that is what continues to have you blocked.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those voices that reverberate for decades and across all time. I mean, it's shocking. The stories that I've collected, and they're often on my podcast of people who share things that they remember that happened to them when they were five years old around creative rejection. You know, a lot of people are like, what is this therapy? Uh, And (laughs) I'm not a therapist. I have a doctorate, but it's in Oboe. So I'm not a medical doctor, but I do think that it's a testament for me to know that the creative impulse is really close to our hearts and our self-worth and our desire to be known and to know. And so, you know, while I can't as a coach diagnose your anxiety, I believe that the artist really needs more than just self-care. We need to think about soul care because it truly, our creative impulse is really a spiritual practice. And even if you don't consider yourself a religious or spiritual person, the act of thinking about creativity as more than just a hobby or something you do for fun. It is that, but it can so often be more than that and connected to deep personal well-being and richness. And I think it's like truly an undertapped resource in this conversation about mental health and well-being.
0: Hmm. And not only that, but it, don't you agree that it's also, it's great for other people. I feel like there's usually a lot of terms that are derogatory terms that are attached to it. It's like, oh, you know, you're selfish or, oh, you are, you know, self-consumed if you're pursuing something that's like means something to you. And I get a lot of people that are like, well, what if I don't have time to do that? Like I, I'm an adult now, right? That's another one. Like, oh, well, I don't have time for the play. I'm an I'm adult. I have a real responsibilities and I have, you know, a mortgage and I have children and, you know, Know, there's all these things that you know that and responsibilities that of course you know people have aging parents, but sometimes I feel like I'm like,, mm, I wonder if that's not an excuse, but just this idea of not having enough time and one of the things that I noticed when you and I were, you know, setting up this call, for instance, and you were like, oh, okay, actually, I, you know, I had a certain amount of time or, you know, certain times blocked off. And you were like, oh, actually, I'm not able to do that. Can we scale it back? Because I want to do it like when my kids are asleep. You know, I want to wait till they, you know, go to sleep and then let's do it then. Or, oh, I think I heard on one of your podcasts, yes, you had thanked your mother-in-law and you were like, thank you so much because she's she's watching my my children while I record.'" record.'" record this podcast. And I was like, wow, like I I really want you to speak to that. And you said that you have a lot of you have help.
1: Yes, I do have help. So Julia Cameron calls it a virtue trap that you you use things that are virtuous or that are good or that you truly do have to do, like child rearing and cleaning and taking care of yourself and others. And you use them as a creative block. And it's a really good block because It makes you look virtuous, right? It's like, oh, I'm such a wonderful mother. How could I ever leave my children? Truth is that when you are thinking about yourself as being enriched and full, and when you have a cup that is full of joy and well being and just mental and physical health, then you become a better mother, better wife, better friend, better daughter. And it's really counterintuitive. But I learned the hard way that the more you bang your head into the wall in in service of everyone else, the worse you will actually serve them because you're not doing it from a place of joy and fulfillment. And so it really is important. If you are a mom and you're listening to this, if you are a person who's taking care of elderly parents, if you are a person who has to work 60, 80 hours a week at your job, I want to encourage you to see creativity as an act of self-care, but also as a means of just human rights, right? So just like you deserve to drink water and eat healthy food and be loved and love others and walk around the streets and feel safe, you also deserve to express yourself. Creativity is a way for you to do that and to fill your cup so that you can serve others better and be all the things you are to all people. And, And honestly, with my children, I have found that The more that I tap in to my creative self, the more joyful I am and the more happy I am, the more fun I am. And so it actually makes me a better mom when I am podcasting and doing interviews while they're sleeping because I feel fulfilled. And fulfillment is better than happiness. Oh, I heard this awesome interview with Elizabeth Gilbert and Martha Beck recently. And she was talking about the difference between feeling good and feeling well. And she was like, it is really easy to feel good. And our culture wants you to feel good. It's like, eat this, drink this, act like this, do this, and you'll feel good. Feeling good is like, you know, we talk about guilty pleasure. But feeling well is something that takes a lot more energy and boundary setting. And it doesn't always look like the beautiful wrapped clinking wine glasses on Friday afternoon. And it can look like setting a boundary and making sure that you have a babysitter once a week so that you can go and do something that makes you feel like yourself. And so I'm not looking to feel good. I'm looking to to really cultivate wellness. And I think that creativity can do that for all people, even if they're not practicing artists, even if they wouldn't use the A word to describe themselves. And I think that the idea of I don't have enough time is just, it's a creative block. It is.
0: And in the artist's way, Julia Cameron calls it like having like a martyr complex. Okay. So in the same vein of that, just like you were saying then, a good tool then would be to ask a family member to babysit while you devote an hour to whatever it is that you want to do. You know, I know a lot of times when people have all these stressors, they feel like, oh gosh, but I, I just, I would rather decompress. And so decompression might look like watching a lot of TV. These folks are watching Netflix down into the ground. You know what I mean? like, I mean, like they're on top of the the weekly releases and it's like, like all of it. And it's like, there's so much content that's being released on a weekly basis. It's just like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't keep up and I, I should keep up because I'm an art, you know, I'm an artist that I need to be studying all this. But a lot of times I find, like for instance now, I could be watching something right now, but I'm like, I'm here speaking with you. And so a lot of times when I'm watching, when I do catch up on stuff, it's like late at night or like on the weekends or, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out when to do it all. For you, how would you recommend someone who feels like they are battling the fear and all these other blocks? How can they then figure out how to use their decompression time to switch that to be like, that's going to be the time that I try to work through my blocks and spend it on my dreams and desires.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's a really good point. First of all, I think if you, I work in coaching with a lot of time management. And so if you look really closely at like most people, when they look closely at what they're doing, there's a lot of time in there that they can work with. And so I think that is, it is another point to be made that like, it is kind of a fallacy that you don't have time. But what it makes me think about is like the different kinds of rest that there are. Resting, sleeping is one type of rest. Resting, watching Netflix is another type of rest, where it's like, it doesn't really involve your brain. There's no like direct stimulation. It's just sort of like binging. I mean, that's that's why they call it that. And that is a type of rest. But there's also doing the laundry, which can feel restful, where you're sort of like default. I like to listen to podcasts while I do laundry. And so first of all, we all need to rest. And so please don't hear me that I'm saying, stay up all night and write and do your creative stuff. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying rest in ways that are not necessarily binging and explore which things truly give you energy instead of just like keeping you flatlined. Does that make sense?
0: hmm It does.
1: Yeah. And so for me, it does feel like work to make my show every week. And you know, what doesn't feel like work is having ideas. And like the ideas... And I say this a lot. I did another podcast where I was talking about mothering and how how to write when you have no time and how to how to how to write, you know, five, six thousand words a week and have to hold a baby like for six hours a day. And I hate that I have to write that that I do that podcast, but it's a is a thing because you feel like your hands are tied behind your back. But what I what I said is, and I love my son, okay. So that goes without saying. But it's not just mothering, it's any job that feels like it just sucks the living daylights out of you and you're so tired. But what I found was the secret for me having this deadline every week was I never stopped writing. I was writing in my head all week. I would write whole episodes sometimes, just like in my head or on the notes app on my phone when I was feeding him. Um, or giving him a bath, you know, and I was watching him to make sure he didn't drown. But you see what I'm saying? Like the creative process isn't something that's like on, off, black, white, here, there. no, it's it's a way of life. It truly is. And you don't have to be at the easel doing oil paints, which requires a lot of setup and breakdown to be a visual artist. You could quickly sketch. you could set a timer for ten minutes and grab a pencil and, create patterns. I mean, literally, it's just not... Just lower the bar, make the problem smaller so that you don't feel like you're in a scarcity mindset. And you'll find that when you shift and you do some tiny little thing, it actually has ripples and reverberates all the way through your life in huge ways. So that then when you have like five hours on Saturday, where you could be Netflix binging, you decide, you know, instead... I'm really going to start laying out that project that I've had in my head all day or like take the notes app off my phone and call a friend and like debrief about what this project really is. Is it a screenplay? Is it a novel? And like move forward. And so don't expect that tomorrow you become a great artist, but shift in your mind, a small mindset of creativity is a way to feel well, is a way of rest and where I can fit that in to make me feel more like myself. That's enough that's enough. You know,
0: I'm not trying to be preachy. I definitely don't have it all figured out. You know, Instagram's got me in a serious chokehold. So I also, cause I did not, I, you know, my struggle is, and I told you this, I'm struggling with these morning pages, you know, and I just am struggling. And it's even when I wake up, I'm like, girl, just get up and immediately start writing, right? Or do my meditation. And I was doing a good, I finally, after years and years, was doing a good job of getting up and just doing a quick 18 to 20 minute meditation. I don't know what has happened in the past two weeks between eating and everything that's, you know, not nailed down. I also have developed this bad habit recently of getting up and immediately checking my phone and Instagram. And Instagram is a time suck. I'm like, oh, let me just check this or that. And then it's like an hour later and I'm like, oh, no, that was probably my three morning page time right there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. The phone, like managing the phone. Is a real challenge, and it's hard when you have people that you're taking care of because you can't ever completely sign off, like unless like you're asleep, you're in the same house. But even then, like so, yeah, managing what what barriers or what boundaries do you want to set for yourself around social media? And if you don't feel good, I would recommend doing a complete fast from social media. Truly sign off for two weeks, sign off for three days, like whatever, like however much you can afford to do. Cause I know so many of us are running businesses and we're trying to like post every day, blah, blah, blah. But if it's not sustainable and you have to guard, what I learned the hard way is that you have to guard your creative impulse. Like you really do. You have to protect it because you're right. There's so much media. It's going to suck the life out of you, suck the energy out of you, guard your energy. And so being a classical musician Discipline was always really important because if you don't practice for hours every day, like you can't succeed. I mean, that's just true. And the way that I was able to continue being a classical musician, even though I felt like I had achieved what I had achieved because of perfectionism instead of joy, the way that I kind of came to peace around that was thinking of practice like devotion. And so... In practicing, we talk about, we go to practice rooms and we practice our scales and our arpeggios and all the patterns in music that come up. We call them fundamentals. And so every morning I would do this very meditative practice of music fundamentals. And it was so calming because you feel like, oh, good, A440, which is the tuning note. It's the same every day. And in Hinduism, for example, and in the Christian faith, devotional is an act of like, locating yourself in relation to a higher power. And so you locate yourself in your smallness in relation to the bigness of a higher power. And so when you do your fundamental practice at your art form with devotion, again, you're there almost glorifying what's great about acting or what's great about writing or what's great about music. And in seeing it that way is that you're enjoying what it, it offers you instead of being like, oh, let me just try to play faster and try to live up to it. No, you're going there to almost supplicate yourself into in, to the, at the at the throne of this thing that you love and enjoy. And so I loved that mindset shift because it allowed me to not feel like I was never living up. And instead, when I started practicing with more devotion, it made me feel like, okay, I was able to see what's possible and I got to be part of it. It was more collaboration.
0: Mm-hmm. I have to use that with my vocal exercises because my, you know, it's kind of like vocal exercises. I should be doing vocal exercises on a regular basis. And if you don't switch your thinking about it, it could feel like, oh, I didn't, you know, it's like almost like a chore or a task or, "Ah, you know, I don't have time to do that today. But it's like that's something that is very important it's like the basics. It's your training. It's your instrument. It's keeping the win- the instrument fine-tuned. And so it's really important. So it's interesting you said that. Now, before I go on, I wanted to also touch on crazy makers. I wanted to hear your take on crazy makers. Julia Cameron talks about that, I believe, in chapter one or chapter two. She talks about that.
1: Yeah, it has to be early on because it's like so true. I would totally agree. And you can read the quote. I don't have my book handy, but the, the definition is basically like people who make everything about them. And they like to usurp the entire energy and become drama kings or queens in your life. I mean, everybody knows when, like in the group, when we talk about this, everybody can name the crazy makers in their life.
0: And so for the listeners, crazy makers are like the people that serve as distractions in your life. Yes when you're trying to hold sacred ground for your creative work.
1: Right. And so she says really early on in the book that you'll notice the crazy makers are going to come out of the woodwork. The more you go and stand your ground and say, no, mama's going to go and do her art form for a couple hours. That's when your kids are going to be little crazy makers and decide to freak out about you leaving. Or a friend who suddenly needs you to drop everything and rescue them at all time of night because, again, you're like staking claim on your time. And it's almost like, I think she says this, it's almost like the universe is testing you to determine, can you set a boundary here or not? And I like that. I think that we need to always pay close attention to how much energy our relationships are are draining us. Because we know like time is finite. Like you can't make more time. There's 24 hours in a day. But you can make more energy if you think about it. Like you, if I asked you like what are two activities you do that give you energy?
0: I really love jogging. I was a sprinter when I was younger, and with the pandemic, I was feeling very anxious and just, you know, like everyone, I was just out of sorts. And so I found myself having just all this angst and nothing. And I'm also an Aries, so tons of fire, you know. And I was always taking walks, and so then I just I started jogging because I just felt like I needed something to do with the excess energy. And I'm like, oh, I get that runner's high now. I'm like, oh, I get that. I didn't understand that. I always thought of running is like toiling away and like something being very, you know, something that's very strenuous. And I love it now. And it actually gives me a lot of energy, a lot of energy.
1: Okay. And on the other side, what's an activity that drains your energy?
0: What's an activity that drains me? Now, it's so funny because you're asking this and, you know, there's a lot. (laughs) And I'm like, why can't I recall in this moment? What is something that drains me? Let me think. I'm scanning, scanning, scanning my mind.
1: One thing that drains me is anything that involves numbers. And so if you're like, give me a profit and loss sheet for your business. I'm like, please, God, no. I mean, and yes, that is really important. Okay. And I'm not saying that's not important. I'm just saying that drains me you know, I have like little part-time jobs. They're like, please submit an hour sheet. I'm like, no, I don't want, you don't even pay me. I don't even care. Don't make me figure out when I worked and what I did. Cause I'm like, what is it? Where am I? What day is it? What is the internet? What do I even do? You know, like that's how energy draining numbers are for me. And so my point is in this is saying we actually have activities that are draining or fulfilling and they, they drain our energy and they steal our energy. And so energy is the commodity that we need to be worrying about, not time. And so the crazy makers, when they drain our energy so that if you're at you know, rescuing a friend or having another fight with somebody in your family that is toxic, and you, then you're supposed to just go and create your thing that you're supposed to make, like you don't have the energy to do that. And so learning to set boundaries around crazy makers is a really important part of the creative recovery process.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just remembered. So uh, two things that drain me. One is editing. So that's why I have like some editors help me with this podcast. Editing takes me out, right? And then also learning tech, like new tech. I'm like, I'm all types of caught in the digital divide. It takes me the longest to figure out this Instagram and posting. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And especially when you're like manipulating the sizing of like, oh, this is for reels. This is for the post. This is for TikTok. I mean, all of that is like, it's taking me out. <laughs> so yes.
1: One thing I have my coaching clients do when they get into this scarcity route, I don't have enough time, is I have them go through their whole week and do what we call an energy audit. And so I have them assign a number, negative five to positive five, for every activity that they do. And then add them all up and determine, like, what's the sum? And, like, maybe, and what's the goal? Like, is it zero? Um, Or is it five? Like, are you trying to have like, are you ending the the day at an energy point? Are you supposed to be drained? Are you supposed to be zero? Like, what's your goal? And most people realize that they have been spending the majority of their time doing things that drain their energy. And so no wonder they feel tired and they feel like they have no time because they don't have any energy left to offer anything or anyone else. Mm hmm. And so, can you
0: speak on pretty quickly about why the morning pages and why the weekly artist dates are so important and so hard to make time for? Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. First of all, I think that the morning pages—I call them taking out the trash of your brain. It took me a while to not try to be all dear diary about it, like dear diary, what a wonderful, glorious morning it is here. Like to stop putting up fake fronts about my morning pages. Like The point is to go there and be like, this day sucks. My son was up three times in the middle of the night. I don't know what I'm doing. Complain, complain, complain. Do what you need to do. Whatever your brain is thinking, write it down. And that is a good morning pages session because it's taking the trash out of your brain. And that allows you later to be more creative because you've given... Witness to all the things that are bothering you. Like, I drink espresso or coffee from an Italian espresso machine. It was like my, I'm not going to say guilty pleasure because I don't feel any guilt about my pleasures, but I have this espresso machine that I love. And every morning you have to turn it on to get the residual water that's like sat in the frother every, all morning. You have to clean out the area before you get fresh, great tasting coffee and frothy, beautiful milk, right? And so, of course, that's true for our brains that we have to just take out the trash and the gunk every morning. One story about the morning pages, and then I'll talk about the artist states. I was doing a class in person with a group of people. And one of them was an older lady who was beginning to suffer with dementia. And she was having issues just remembering, you know, simple things. So this lady, it was a really sad situation that she was starting to lose her memory. And she actually had more anxiety about it than she did actual memory loss. And so... She did the morning pages every day for two weeks, and it basically halted her problems with dementia for the time being. Am I saying it's a cure for dementia? No. But I'm just saying that there is more to your consciousness and to the way you feel and your brain's functioning than we know. And so what could it hurt? You know, no one has said, by doing morning pages, I have xyz gone in a negative direction. It might cost you some sleep. <laughs> And I tell my coaching clients and people in my class, if you can't do it in the morning, do them later. Like Julia Cameron is pretty serious about doing them in the morning first thing when you wake up, but they have benefits any time of day. So don't get discouraged if you can't do them right when your feet hit the floor.
0: And are you writing them? Are you doing morning pages?
1: Not every day. I do them a lot. And a lot of times they're not in the morning. I can often feel like I'm carrying a lot or I keep getting distracted and I'm trying to do something and I am just can't find the flow, a lot of times I'll stop in that moment and just write down what's wrong. Or I'll even speak stream of consciousness to myself in a like a voice text or to a friend or just get all the stream of consciousness stuff out. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I don't want to admit publicly that I don't do my morning pages every day, but I don't. <laughs>
0: No, but that's great. But that's very interesting. I love those other tools and especially like the voice note. And because a lot of times when my head is just spinning, I'll just sit there and let it spin. And it's like, well, actually, instead of doing that, crack open the voice note or crack open, you know, a pen and paper and write whatever I'm spinning about then. So, okay, I I like that. Uh
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the morning pages are a way for you to clean out the trash in your brain. The artist date is a way for you to pursue your inner artist. To believe, first of all, that you have someone in your psyche or inside you that is an inner artist. And a lot of times the inner artist is related to the inner child. And so I call mine the inner artist child. And so you have this part of your personality that is pure and loves play and is excited to just explore And the artist date idea is that you pursue that part of yourself and every week you do something fun and you make a date for you and that part of yourself. And Julia Cameron says here, you know, you shouldn't allow anyone else to come with you on your artist dates because it's like you and yourself. It's like, okay, but like that's not totally realistic sometimes. So again, I tend to have the idea like if you have to go to an art museum with your husband, it's fine. Like, and a lot of times when we do stuff like that and, and we're together, my husband, will, I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna go walk this this gallery by myself and I'm gonna listen to headphones and like explore what is fun for me. And like, then we'll meet back up in like 10 minutes. So like, again, lower the standards, lower the bar. It does not have to be perfect. One of my biggest posts on Instagram is you don't have to be perfect in order to have permission to be creative. And so the artist date is supposed to be fun, And so if you're not having fun, then you're not doing it right. Okay. So you have permission to have fun, to pursue that childlike part of you that likes to go to thrift stores and find random stuff or go to the dollar store and buy pens and journals and stuff that is might be considered junk to others. But you have permission to do all that. And when you do that, when you pursue that part of you, it will become a familiar friend inside yourself so that later when you need reassurance or when you need inspiration, that part of yourself is already connected to your adult mind or your adult psyche. And then you can just go and let it flow. And so both of those tools I think are really, really key. And at the end of The Artist's Way, spoiler alert, she says, life is an artist date." And so that's the point. And so she encourages people to just once a week do it. But in the end, you'll see it'll all of a sudden take over your life to the point where you are living your life with so much joy and your inner artist child is present all the time. It is amazing. It really, truly is. And I do feel like I'm tapping in now to that part of my life that it really feels, and like, is everything great and joyful and fun all the time? No, but I have that part of me deeply connected to who I am. And so it is It's really joyful and happy.
0: Ah, thank you for saying that because I love a good hike as my artist date, but I'm not about to go on the side of a mountain by myself.
1: That's wise, actually.
0: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Great. Okay. So... Let's talk about you did this visual. Vis- oh my gosh. This oh my wait, why? <laughs> I not say it? Wait, what's happening? <laughs> woo, let me let me run it back. Okay. You did this visualization exercise woo, the other day, uh, the other evening in class, which I loved. And I would love for us to end on that. So before we go to that, what I want to talk about is I want to go back to your podcast and a book that you are currently working on. And in your podcast, and you will be doing this also in your book, you have a vignette of stories from people who are in these weekly sessions, and they talk about what the artists way and all these ideas that we've talked about today, what these things have done for them and their art and their creativity or whatever it is that they want to bring into their lives. The book is going to market. (laughs) So what can you tell us about the book right now?
1: Yeah. So I, I am writing a book. It's my first major book project. I, as a kid, wrote lots of books. And so I see this as like real fulfillment of a big dream. But I wanted to create an inspirational guide for a joyful creative life. And so a practical toolkit, just like The Artist's Way is, for people of all disciplines to connect with creativity as a spiritual practice. And so the book is a lot about my life and my journey. It's what we might call narrative nonfiction. And so it's prescriptive and it teaches and it offers coaching tools. But it also, like you said, tells the stories of those that I've met along the way, along the artist's way. And I'm hoping that the book will be in the world next year. And so if you want to find out more about it or a contribute to your own story of how the artist way has impacted you. You can follow me on Instagram at artists for joy and listen to the podcast. And we have actually a, a voicemail. I don't know if you have this on your podcast where people can leave questions and tell us stories. And so if you if you go to my website, artistsforjoy.org slash podcast, you can read about how you can get involved in that project. So I hope that helps.
0: Thank you. And I do not, but I heard that on your podcast, that in email. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get a voicemail and an email address. That's so smart. Because I'm always like, you know, let me know what you think about A, B, and C. And they're probably like, well, how are we supposed to reach out to you? You know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And voicemail is great because people can like actually leave their voice. And it's really fun to hear hear from listeners actually in their real voice.
0: Yes. Okay. So the other night you did three visualization exercises. I would just like to focus on one and I would like to focus on the frustration one. I thought that was a good one. That one got me riled up. I was like, oh, that's a good one. (laughs) I feel that one.
1: So we were talking in the group about values and in, in coaching, the word values means basically what's important to you. And every person has different values. And if the word values is triggering of like family values or anything like that, it doesn't exactly mean, it doesn't mean ethics or integrity. It means that those can be values, but values are more like what matters to you, what's important to you. And the values that you have can change depending on what phase of life that you're in or where you are, or how you were raised or what what stage you're in or what's important to you. So naming your values is really powerful because it allows you to explain to people why you need to set a boundary. It allows you to, when you know other people's values, it allows you to understand where they're coming from. And so what I had the group do was I led them through a couple of different visualizations in situations that I knew would uncover hidden values. And so everything we do, every action we take in our life, we are uncovering what we think is important or what matters most. And so the values exercise that we went through with you, it's visualization that I learned in my coaching training through the organization called Graydon and it's called Drives You Crazy. So do you want me to like actually lead people through this?
0: Yes. If you could do like a, yeah, like a mini version of what you did the other night.
1: If you want to do a visualization to determine one of your hidden values, what you want to do is quiet your mind. And visualization is a little bit like meditation in that you are going to close your eyes and think and listen. But unlike meditation, visualization requires you to pay close attention, not to shut off your mind or to quiet your thoughts, but instead notice your thoughts and almost get ready to write them down. And so I'm going to lead you through this quick visualization. And when we're done, you want to grab your piece of paper and a pen and write down anything that came up for you. So take a couple of deep breaths and center yourself in your space. If you are feeling a little energetic and riled up, you might put your palms face down. And if you're feeling tired and need some energy, you might lift your palms to the sky. And what I want you to do is imagine a time when you have felt irritated, stressed, or completely annoyed. <laughs> As you think about this time, what is making you feel like this? What are the circumstances that have brought these feelings up for you? Now think of another thing that makes you feel like this? What other circumstances, situations drive you crazy? In general, how would you like the world to be different? How would you like the situation to be different? And what do you want it to change? And what do you specifically want to change? And so when you're ready, open your eyes and grab your pen. Jot down some things that came up for you in this. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what you wrote and we'll see how your values come through? Or do you want to leave them wondering?
0: (laughs) I think we'll leave them wondering. (laughs) I don't want to have any
1: issues. (laughs) Okay. Well, as you read through what you wrote and as you think about what physically and mentally and relationally drives you crazy, look for the through lines. And so if it drives you crazy, for example, that your husband is always late, you know, this is just an example I'm pulling out of my hair. You know, this isn't real, (laughs) except it is. If your husband is always late. What does that mean you value? You might value punctuality, obviously, but you also might value your expectations being honored or better communication. So like, especially in the ways that you're annoyed and you're stressed, there is some hidden value that's been stepped upon. And so look at that currents you visualized and try to flesh out three or four words in there of things that you really truly value that made you so upset or annoyed or stressed. So I hope that makes sense.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Meredith, thank you so much. You're so welcome. This has been great and so meaty, so meaty and so helpful and very deep and very, I feel like it's very specific and I feel like our listeners will listen to this and really get something from it and maybe admit something to themselves that they maybe haven't or it'll confirm a thought and a belief that they already had or, you know, spark something new. And so thank you so much.
1: You're so welcome. I would love to tell people more about coaching. I offer a free discovery call. If so, if you're interested in coaching, if you're wondering about more of what it is, you can go to artistsforjoy.org slash coaching. And I will tell you, you can read more about it and we can meet and talk for free the first 30 minutes about what coaching is and how it can help.
0: Thank you for listening. This has been a so mind boggling production.
1: Follow along at so mind boggling on
0: Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.